Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of God. Last week, uh, we opened up the Advent series, and uh, we're visiting passages that help us to reinterpret or review uh, passages that we've known growing up about the birth of Jesus. And today, uh, we're, we're looking at the story of Joseph, the narrative of Joseph. And the narrative about Joseph <clears throat> shows us really what happens when Jesus comes into our lives, when Jesus comes close to us. What, is, what happens? The closer that Jesus gets into our lives, life becomes messy, life becomes turbulent. You'd think it would be the opposite, but life actually gets hard. It gets messy, it gets turbulent. Why? And there are three reasons, three lessons. What Jesus does to our values, what he does to our fears, lastly, what he does to our shame. Because of what he does to our values, our fears, and our shame. First, um, we're going to look at what Jesus does to our values. In verse 18, we have Mary. And uh, Mary is engaged to be married to Joseph. But she finds out she's pregnant. In other words, Mary is about to experience the two great joys of any woman in that society, in that culture. Marriage and childbirth. Not too different from today, right? Uh, but Mary lives in a much closer society, a much more traditional society, a much more religious society. It's a religious, social, ancient culture. And in these ancient times, you never get married you never get pregnant before you get married. And so Mary, in a sense, is committing cultural suicide, social suicide. She's about to become an outcast. Now, this is before the days of the Internet, before we had cars, right? So it wasn't a very mobile culture. If you were outcast in your community in those days, it's suicide, cultural suicide, social suicide. She's about to become an outcast, and she's committing because she's committing the two great social sins of a woman in her day, pregnancy out of wedlock. So Joseph is disappointed. And in verse 19, Joseph decides to divorce Mary quietly. What's going on? Mary's world. Mary's world, because Jesus is coming close to her, is turning upside down, completely upside down. Joseph's world is turning completely upside down. Why? Because, it's Jesus, because Jesus is coming near. Jesus is coming near into his life as well. What does this teach us? 
what happens when Jesus enters into your life. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be mess. There's going to be suffering. Things that you once took joy in, that's wealth, your relationships, marriage, your spouse, your your sex life, uh, your career, your status, your pedigree, your reputation, your connections, your network. Some of these things, absolutely necessary. But after a while, as Jesus comes close, you find that none of these things are sufficient to give you a sense of worth. Now, why is that? It's because Jesus has come near. And Jesus is overturning your values in a way that it changes your view of the world, it changes your view of life, how you live, what you celebrate, your victories in life. You thought at one point that status would increase your options and potential and joy and your freedom. You thought at one point your reputation would increase your options and potential and your freedom and joy when they actually decrease your options and potential and your freedom and joy. Joseph chooses to stay with Mary. He chooses to remain with her. When his culture, when his society says, you got to go, he says, I'm going to stay. I'm going to take the risk. Why? Well, the first point is because his values have been overturned. The reason why is because, too, it's what Jesus does to our fears. Jesus overturns our fears as well. In verse 19, Joseph is about to break up with Mary, but he wants to do it quietly. Mary is about to be shamed. Mary is about to be cast out. Mary is about to become an outcast. And Joseph, he doesn't want to risk any more shame for Mary. He's a good man. He wants to do the right thing, so he wants to do this quietly. But if you notice in verse 20, an angel of the Lord comes to Joseph, and he says this. He says, Joseph, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Notice, the angel doesn't challenge Joseph's morals. The angel doesn't challenge Joseph's kindness. He doesn't say, Joseph, do not be cruel. He says, Joseph, do not be afraid. The angel's challenging his fear. In other words, the angel is calling Joseph a coward. What's a coward? Everyone in the world has fears. But a coward is someone who's ruled by his fear. A coward is someone who lets fear control him, controls decisions, controls actions. What did Joseph fear? Joseph and Mary are about to have a baby out of wedlock. And because Mary is about to become an outcast, because she's about to be socially marginalized, Joseph knows that the longer he stays with Mary, the longer he stays connected to Mary, he's going to become an outcast. He's going to become socially marginalized. Now we say, wow, that's really primitive. That's really primitive. You think about that? You think that, really? In high school, everyone here has gone to high school, right? In high school, there's always a group of people who are in. And there are always a group of people who are out. They're the social outcasts in your grade. And the people who are in, they rarely connect with people who are out. I mean, we see this not just in high school. We see this everywhere. As you get older, those networks become even stronger and tighter. People who are in rarely connect with people who are out. They rarely touch the people who are out. Why? It's because socially... The in people, the in people never hang out with those who are out because the more you connect with someone who's out, if you're in, the more you connect with somebody who's out, their outcastness, their social disease, in a way, it starts to transfer over to you, right? The technical term for that is imputation. Their outcastness, 
their social disease transfers over to you and eventually the longer you stay, the longer you connect with people who are out, you start to become out. The longer you connect with people who are marginalized, you start to become marginalized. That's what happens. And so if you cross that line, if you take the risk, you're going to be out. And Joseph knew that. Joseph and Mary, they're both poor. The most likely illiterate in an illiterate culture and community. They were uneducated as a result, no pedigree, no status. The only thing that Joseph had was his reputation. The only thing that Joseph had was his community. That's all he had. It was his reputation. In verse 19, it says he's a righteous man. The Greek translation for that is that he knew the law. He understood the law. He lived by the law. In other words, Joseph was a good man. That's what he was known for. Joseph was a just man. And good things happen to just people, right? Good things happen to good people, right? So on one hand, he's trying to reconcile this, but he's got to keep it up. He's got to keep it up. He's a religious person. He's acceptable to his community. He's accepted by his community because he's a, he's a lawful man. He's a good man. He's a just man. It's not because he was rich. It's not because he was educated. It's not because he's well-pedigreed. It's because he had a good reputation. So all he had was his community, and he's about to lose his community. He's about to lose all of his social capital. It's all he had, and so he wants to divorce Mary. But because he's a good man, because he's a just man, he wants to do it the right way, he wants to divorce her quietly because Mary's reputation is ruined. Mary's reputation is ruined, but he could save himself. Joseph is a righteous man. What does it mean to be righteous? Righteous, the concept of righteousness means that you are acceptable. You see, religion is outside in. A religious person says, I have to live right on the outside. I have to do all the right things on the outside. Why? So that I could be acceptable. I could feel worthy on the inside. It's why religion, if you're just a religious person here in this room today, it's going to breed fear and fatigue over and over and over in your life. Religious people are tired and, uh, and they're fearful. Religious people... Their outer goodness, they're good people. They're lawful people. They've been brought up oftentimes in the church. But their outer goodness is driven by fear. Constantly working to prove that they're okay. Constantly working to show that they are acceptable people. So a lot of people I know, there are a lot of people I know, especially in this church, who for away from the church for a long time. And their idea of coming back to the Lord is what? Because they've been so distant from God, when they come in, they become religious. They start to follow all the rules, do everything right, become acceptable. Because if they live right on the outside, they feel acceptable on the inside, which is tiring because if you mess up, And if you don't live right on the outside, you feel terrible on the inside. There's guilt and there's shame. It's why religious people, just at the hint of gossip, just at the hint of rumors, they just fall apart. They just come completely undone because they need people's approval. And that's why they're so tired. It's It's why they're so fearful. And also, it's why religious people, they never take risks, never big risks, maybe for their own, you know, business decisions perhaps, but they never take social risks. They perpetuate the in crowd. They want to they develop and hang and, and consort 
only with people who are in. Mary's situation would have been absolutely devastating for somebody who's religious. Now, what that means is, it means this. We don't always do the wrong things because we're afraid. Most of the time, what the Bible says is that we do good things because we're afraid. We do the right things out of fear. It's our way of masking our fear uh, of becoming unacceptable to other people. Now, some of you are saying, well, not me. I don't really care what people think about me. Really? Why are you working so hard for your promotion? Why do you study so hard? Well, you say, well, it's not because I really care about what other people think. I want to make money. Well, why do you need money? Why do you need to become rich? Because I want to build my life. Because I want, to, I want to have a life. Well, why do you need that? You ever see the movie Moneyball? One of my favorite books. If you remember the movie, Jonah Hill's character, he's talking to Brad Pitt's character, Billy Bean, Brad Pitt, right? And he says, uh, he says Brad Pitt's contemplating an offer that would make him the highest paid general manager in all of sports, in all of sports history. But he doesn't want to leave what he's building. It's a smaller market. He's going to make less. And Jonah Hill says this, you're not doing it for the money. You're doing it for what the money says, that you're worth it. That's why we work so hard. We need acceptance. We, we want to feel like we're worth it. We want to feel worthy. Being with Mary would be disastrous then to somebody who thinks that way, to somebody like Joseph, who's, who's built his life on his reputation, his religious status. And as a result, it's the source of his fear. He's ruled by this. And that's why the angel of the Lord comes to him. This angel comes to him and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Be not afraid. It means the same reasons why we do bad things, we lie and we cheat, it's why we're so jealous, why we step on people's necks to get up ahead over other people. It's because we're afraid of losing acceptance. That's why we do that. But that's the same reason why we live good lives. The reason why we live good lives, it's because of our fear. It's why we're defensive when somebody calls us out on something. It's why we're jealous. It's why we're constantly pointing fingers at other people. We're deflecting attention from ourselves. That's what we're doing. It's why we're still stepping over other people. We're stepping over other people because what we're trying to say is, hey, look at me. I'm better than this person. I would never do that. I would never live that way. And if you live a lifetime that way, pointing fingers at other people, not looking at yourself, not listening but always being defensive, always comparing yourself with other people, living in jealousy and envy and covetousness, you're going to burn out. You're going to constantly, you're going to work yourself to death. That's the fear and that's the fatigue playing out in your life until one day your life is just fear, filled with fear. Your life is filled with just burnout fatigue. You will lack joy forever in your life. It's going to burst you into an eternity of fear and fatigue and burnout and joylessness. You're going to be angry and you're going to be bitter and that's going to be your, that's going to be your end. That kind of life today, not just tomorrow, but today, will never be dynamic. It's never going to change you. There's never going to be power in your life. Do you see that? The gospel, that's religion. The gospel is inside out. Religion is outside in. The gospel is inside out. Jesus Christ came in. I didn't deserve it. 
Jesus Christ came in. We never deserved it. We are unacceptable in every way, whether you're rich or poor, educated or uneducated, whether you have a good reputation or you had a bad reputation. We are sinners. That's what the Bible says. We do not deserve God's love. We do not deserve his faithfulness. Most of the time, when Jesus Christ, when we, when we came to Christ, we weren't looking for him. We didn't feel like we needed him. We didn't want him in our lives. Oftentimes, we're running from him, and yet God pursued us. We didn't deserve his faithfulness. We didn't deserve his love or his goodness. But God, out of his sheer grace, chose to love us, and that blows away our fear. Why? You want to know why? Because on one hand, the gospel says this. The gospel is going to make you incredibly humble. Jesus died for my sins, even my self-righteousness, even my misplaced goodness, Even my jealousy and envy and covetousness, Jesus died for me. I didn't earn him. That's going to make us incredibly humble. But on the other hand, that love, his love is not based on my merit. I don't work for it. I don't work for it. I didn't earn it. It's based on Jesus' merit. It's based on Jesus' goodness. That's going to make you bold because that will never end. He will always be faithful. He will always be good. He will always be accomplished. He, will, he says it is finished. And because of that, because our lives are based, because of God's grace being based on Jesus' merit and goodness, that makes you confident and bold. And that's going to give you joy because you realize it's an everlasting love. The gospel drives out fear. Why? You need acceptance? Jeremiah 31, God says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. That means my presence is always abiding, walking, persistent, constant in us. He's dwelling with us. John chapter 1, the word came flesh and dwelled among us. He's connected with us. John 15, he says, he says, cling to the vine. I am the vine, you are the branch. Cling to me as the vine. He is living in us. We are born of the Spirit, First Peter. We are born of the Spirit. In verse 23 of this passage, we see that we will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means what? God with us. His presence always with us. God always near. There's the power. There's the power that you need in you. There's the humility that you need in you. The same power that brought Jesus into the world, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, is now living in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now living in you. The only one who can give you true righteousness, true acceptance, lives with you, lives in you. That's going to overcome your fear. So on one hand, we said that the gospel overturns our values, things that you took pride in, things that you pursued, things that you clung to for a sense of worth become overturned. And that allows you to take great risks, social risks, Because the gospel then removes your fear. All those things that you clung to for a sense of worth, whether it's acceptance, and in the end, it's going to be cosmic acceptance. That's why we work so hard. Because the gospel takes away the fear, and the gospel takes away the fatigue, there's joy. How do you get him? How do you get over your fear of losing acceptance? How do you get over your fear of being unacceptable to others and to God? How do you deal with the risk and the shame of failure, the risk and the shame of loss, the risk and the shame of feeling unworthy? You have to see what Jesus does to that. 
and it's amazing. Verse 24, Joseph decides not to break up with Mary. Joseph decides to remain. He decides to stay with Mary. But notice, you don't see him trying to cover up Mary's shame. There's no cover-up act here. He doesn't rush into marriage and then rush into union physically with, with Mary to cover over everything because if he did that, he'd still be driven by fear. He'd still be driven for, for people's acceptance. And inevitably, people would find out. They'd figure it out. There'd be rumors circulating. People would figure it out. They'd do the math. There'd be tons of rumors. The truth will eventually catch up. Joseph doesn't do that rather than hiding the truth. In verse 25, Joseph chooses not to sleep with Mary until after Jesus is born. He says he, they, he doesn't have union with her until after the birth of Jesus. Basically, what he's saying is this. He's saying, you know what? Let them find out. Let them figure it out. Let them know that this child is not technically mine. And let them know that I'm still going to stay with her. I'm still going to love her. I'm still going to remain with her. Joseph waits to sleep with Mary, his wife, so that there would be no doubt, no question as to who this child was, that this child is not his. Why? Why would he do that? Social suicide. Why would he do that? It's because he listened carefully. In verse 20, the angel says, do not be afraid because what's conceived in Mary is from the Holy Spirit. You're going to have a son and you're going to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And that's a fulfillment of a great prophecy. It fulfills this prophecy, verse 22 to 23. And Joseph is hearing this from the angel, and he listens. In verse 24, he gets married. In verse 25, he refuses to have union with her. They have a son, and he names him Jesus. He listened. Why did he listen? What compelled Joseph to listen? Why was Joseph willing to risk his reputation? Why was Joseph willing to turn around? Why, how, was, how was his values so overturned, his values for community so overturned that he would remain with Mary at the cost of his reputation? Joseph hears that the child that Mary will bear will be named Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. Seeing that, think about it. The angel says, your wife, your fiance, right, whom you're going to marry, is going to bear a child. She's going to suffer shame. She's going to suffer disgrace. But the child that she will bear is going to save those who come to it, is going to save them from their sins. It's gonna, she's going to... Through her, this child that will be born will save God's people from their sins. And seeing that, Joseph looks at Mary differently. He sees that there's something about Mary that completely just broke him, completely moved him and melted him. Because that means Mary is sacrificing her reputation for Joseph. Mary is sacrificing her community and her standing, her status, her reputation, her life for God's people, for Joseph, to bring Jesus into the world. Mary's going to sacrifice <clears throat> her earthly status, her re earthly reputation, so that people like Joseph will have an ultimate status, ultimate reputation. 
Joseph was moved. Joseph is compelled to sacrifice his status because he sees Mary willing to sacrifice her status. Her status. He sees Mary willing to endure shame and disgrace, and that just melted him. Just melts him. Mary substitutes her status so Joseph will have true status. Mary sacrifices her reputation so Joseph will have ultimate reputation. Mary sacrifices her community. To be apart from your community, to be separated from community in those days is death. So Joseph will have perfect community. Perfect community. In verse 20, Joseph understands because that it's not necessarily about Mary. Joseph is a son of David, verse 20, meaning he got it. He knew that this was just a pointer. Mary was just a pointer. That one day, the true descendant of David, the true son of David will come. David was a king. That means that one day, the ultimate king would come. This is the ultimate king. Jesus is the ultimate king. One to whom even David pointed, the great king David pointed to the king of kings. That's Jesus. That's the meaning of Advent. Advent, even now, the reason why we observe Advent is because we're recognizing the coming king, the return of Christ for Christians. For those of you who don't know Jesus, that means that Jesus is coming into your life. That means there's going to be suffering. If you see your life being overturned, if you see hardship and trouble in your life and you're here and you're inquiring, what does this all mean? Jesus is coming near. He's bringing fear through fear, the overturning of your values, the overturning of your fears. Jesus is the coming king. And Joseph, he expected this king to come with a grand entrance, but now he gets it. Looking at Mary, listening to the angel, he gets it. That the true king is not going to be born in a palace. He's going to be born in a manger. The true king is not going to come in glory and splendor and delight. He's going to come in shame and disgrace. He's going to be socially marginalized. It just turned Joseph's view of salvation upside down. Joseph's view of the world, his view of status, his view of what a reputation is, turned it upside down. Because the high king came down. That's going to overturn your reputation, your understanding of what, how important your reputation is. The high king was going to be willing to sacrifice his heavenly kingdom to come down. Be born in a manger in shame and disgrace. Gives you a new view of shame and disgrace. And then he saw Mary, Mary's world, turned upside down. And he's doing it for God's people. He's do, she's doing it for Joseph. The child that Mary's bringing into the world just blew up her life that child is coming into Joseph's world too. And it blew up his life, not to destroy him, but to save him. Is your world blowing up? Are there pressures and temptations, struggles in your life? It's Advent. You can tell it's Advent. That means Jesus is coming into your life too. Look into the Word. Look into the word. Listen to the word. Joseph, listen to the angel. Listen to the word. Because the word is coming to save. 
Jesus is coming to save. The king is coming. But he's, you know, Lord of the Rings, the hands of the king are the hands of a healer. And so the rightful king will be known through Mary. Joseph saw a glimpse of the gospel, and he was changed by that. And, and we, we don't just get a glimpse of the gospel. We see the whole story. What Joseph was looking forward to seeing, we get to see the story and look back and see that now and how that impacts our lives. We see the whole story. Mary's sacrifice is only a picture of the ultimate sacrifice that would be made by Jesus, and that's what Joseph saw. Jesus came into the world not to fill himself with honor and glory and power and strength. He had all that. Friends, he had all that. Jesus came into the world. He came down. The incarnation, we call that condescension. He came down not to fill himself, not to fill himself with glory and honor and power and strength, but to empty himself of glory and honor and power and strength so that we could receive true glory and honor and power and strength. That's what the Holy Spirit does, him dwelling in us. Philippians chapter 2 The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus did not see equality with God something to be grasped, but what? He made himself nothing and came down as a servant, obedient, obedient fully, obedient even to the cross, even to death. How many palaces are there in the world? How many thrones are there in the world? Not many. Very few. How many mangers are out there? Jesus Christ came in a manger, the perfect son of God, the true and ultimate David, the king of kings, the prince of peace, born into the world, not to increase his status or his reputation or his acceptance. He left all that behind. He came down. He came down to lose status and acceptance and his reputation. Not at the risk of his reputation, but at the cost of his reputation. Not at the risk of acceptance, but at the cost of acceptance. On the cross, Jesus Christ cried out what? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm forgotten. I'm forsaken. I'm left for dead. I'm no longer acceptable. It was the only time in the Bible that Jesus didn't refer to God in the Bible as his father. What he's saying is I've been cast out. The outcastness of God's people has been transferred fully onto me. The outcastness, that social disease that has killed my people, has been transferred to me. So that the righteous, the righteous and perfect and holy one has become unrighteous. Why? So that the unrighteous, the unacceptable, the cast out people will be made righteous in God's eyes. The most perfect person, the most holy person that ever lived, became sin on the cross for sinners, for us. He said, I'm forsaken. That means he was disowned. I'm forsaken by the Father. Didn't even acknowledge God as his Father. My God, my God, I'm forsaken. I've lost my Father. I'm disowned. In other words, Jesus Christ was rejected, completely separated by the Father. He lost his status as a son. Why? So we can gain status Full rights, sons. That's Galatians. The Apostle Paul wrote that. Mary and Joseph, they endured shame. They endured disgrace. They obeyed. It cost them their status. But Jesus Christ, he endured shame. He endured a loss of status. 
And on the cross, he endured cosmic shame. And he was obedient. He became obedient unto death, even on the cross. Mary and Joseph's shame and disgrace merely points to the ultimate cosmic disgrace that Jesus Christ would endure on the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus Christ lost his reputation and his honor so that we would receive reputation and honor from God, the king of the universe. Jesus Christ lost community. He said, my, my God, you've forsaken me. That means that his community, the most important community, the community that meant life for him, he was separated from, he was torn from. That meant that God himself, looking at his son, Jesus, on the cross, torn from community. The Holy Spirit, torn from the Son. The Father, torn from the Son. The Trinity, torn apart on the cross. Jesus Christ came down to earth and emptied himself and lost the Father. That's why we can say we have the Father. That's why we can say we have the Father. Emmanuel, now God with us. We can have the Father. When Jesus Christ enters into your life, your life will go upside down, absolutely, because your values are being challenged. Things that you held dearly, challenged. Your fears are challenged. Your shame, uprooted. It will turn your life, your values, your worldview, your view of status, your view of your reputation, your view of what makes your life will turn completely upside down. Any turbulence you experience is not an indicator anymore. You know, back in the day, before you came to Jesus, if you had no gospel root in your heart, what that means is that any turbulence that comes into your life, you're just working to somehow shield yourself or prepare for turbulence. And you can never do that because you never know what to accept. The most important things in your life you cannot purchase. The most important thing in your life you cannot earn. Think about it. Your health, you can't buy health. You can't buy, you can't work to earn it. You can try to maintain it. But from the moment you're born, your life starts to decline. It's a very, very bleak picture in that, if you look at it that way. That's life. That's the brokenness and the curse of life in a sense. Any turbulence you experience, when Jesus Christ comes near, that turbulence is not an indicator of God's absence, but Emmanuel, God with us, his presence. Has that happened in your life? Is it happening? Go to the word. Listen. Engage with people who are just wiser. I mean, that's the easiest thing you can do. Engage with people. That's the whole purpose of community group. Engage with people. Christian friends in the church. Jesus Christ has saved us. And that means that we are acceptable to God. And when you're acceptable to God and you see that God delights in you, you can delight to the degree that you believe that, you will delight in him. You will not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I'm going to give you some very quick application, and then we're going to close in response. I'll make it very simple for you, right? Because I don't like to, I don't normally tag application always at the end of a sermon, but I'm going to give you some application. It's going to be three S's, so you remember it. And it's upward, inward, outward. I'm going to start with the inward. We're going to go upward. We're going to go outward, right? Three S's. First, surrender your fears. That's inward. Your fears are a gateway to what you really value. 
the more torn up you are by something that's some turbulence in your life, that's a gateway to what you really value. For example, we all make compromises at work. We all make compromises for our work, for that matter. We all make excuses to work harder, to do more. And you end up sacrificing the things that are the most important. You may not see them momentarily as the most important things in your life, but you will make sacrifices of family, relationships, community. These are the things that take decades to build, but start very, very early, and you, can, you will set the pace. And if you set the pace poorly, these things will become a loss at the end. So we, and we all make compromises for things that are urgent, right? Our work is urgent oftentimes. It's because we fear losing security. We fear losing status. We fear losing our jobs, our reputation as good people, good workers. When the gospel comes in, before you might have worked to compare yourself with other people, before uh, you used to work hard to compare yourself with other people, you value your own reputation as somebody who's great in his career. That made you feel right. That made you feel acceptable. You're looking for ultimate acceptance. You're looking for a cosmic acceptance that your work will not give you. Now, what does a cross do? It shows you the lengths that God will go to demonstrate and assure for you his love, his presence for his people. That acceptance, because you ha- that's the validation you're looking for, and that's the validation that you need, and you didn't have to work for it. You can't. You can't do enough to earn it. But when you receive it by sheer grace, that brings joy, that brings freedom, that brings courage. That's the increase in options and potential and freedom and joy you've been looking for. And that's going to give you the courage to choose what is really important over those things that are urgent momentarily. That's going to end your fear. It's going to end your fatigue as well. Surrender your fears. That's inward. So the first thing that you ask yourself as Jesus is coming near is what values are being challenged? What fears are being challenged? Surrender your fears. How do you do that? You pray. How do you do that? Go to the Word. How do you do that? Engage with people. Engage with people who are wiser. Go to them. Say, can I engage with you? I have fears. I have values. How is the gospel overturning them? Show me. Number two, Submit to the king. Surrender your fears. The upward one is submit to the king. Verse 21. She gave birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Verse 24. Joseph did what the angel of the Lord commanded. He surrendered. He submitted. He did what the angel of the Lord commanded. And in verse 25, he gives him the name Jesus. In other words, look, when you name something, you know, pets, goldfish, right? Children get goldfish. Babies, they get goldfish, right? But eventually you, you graduate out of goldfish and you get dogs, right? Eventually you graduate out of that and you get kids, right? That's what happens, right? Who names those kids? Who names those dogs? Who names those pets? You do. Why? It's not like you run around and every single time you see an insect, you name it. Why? Because you don't own that insect, right? As small as it is. But when you own something, you name it. People name their cars, People name every, if you love something you value, you name it, right? Your guitar, you know, instruments, right? You name these things, you know, my precious, right? We do that, right? Now, the thing is, right, uh, naming something is a sign of what? Ownership. Naming something is what? A sign of having authority over that. That's why we name these things. Joseph, by naming the child Jesus, is saying what? 
He didn't give him that name. Somebody else gave him that name. The angel told him, you're going to name him Jesus. He's surrendering his right. He's enduring shame and disgrace for Jesus as his earthly father, and yet he's surrendering the right to even name his child. He's surrendering the right to control things. He's surrendering. He's submitting to God. God gave him the, God gave him the name. When the angel said, you're going to give him the name Jesus, he's saying, look, the Lord is coming, and he's not here to make a deal with you. He's not here to make, sign some sort of agreement with you. If that's why you're coming to church, I'm here to give you some bad news. The gospel is not good news because God is making a peace agreement with you. It is a peace treaty that is coming at his cost. That is why it's good news. He's not here to make a deal with you. He's coming because he is king. You don't sign deals with a king. You submit to the king. He's taking away your control. No more rights. We don't live in a kingdom. We live in a, in a, in a constitution, right? We live under a constitution. It's different. That's an agreement, right? So we don't understand the depth and the meaning of a kingdom. When the king comes and he's your king, he owns you. You have no more rights. If you serve a king, you are completely placing yourself under his ownership, his authority. If you merely agree with Jesus, you're not making him Lord. You're not making him Savior. You are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He owns you. He bought you. He is king over you. If you name him anything else but that, you are still Lord. You are still king in your life. What will you name Jesus today? What will you name Jesus? Will you name him Jesus? Or are you going to name him helper? Or are you going to name him friend? Or are you going to name him healer because you need healing for now? Or provider because right now you need provision? Or guide because right now you feel lost? Don't just name him the names you want to name him. Name him the name Jesus. He is Savior and he is King. Do you understand that? Submit to King. Submit to the King. Surrender your agenda. Last one. We have, upward, we have inward, right? Surrender your fears. Upward, submit to the king. Obey, right? Lastly, outward. Sacrifice for others. Sacrifice. Jesus came in weakness. The high king came as a baby. There is nothing more vulnerable than a baby. Jesus came homeless, uh, he lived in homeless poverty. He came in shame. He emptied himself. And so to the degree that he trusts that he did that for you, and you've got to somehow find ways to remind yourself and let that dwell with you, let that sit with you, to the degree that you trust that, to that degree, then you will empty yourself. You will sacrifice for others. By the way, friends, that's the meaning of our giving. That's why we, we say it's a season of giving. It's not just because, oh, I, I find this person lovable, therefore I'm going to give. We give even to people who don't deserve. That's the meaning of offering and tithe and all these things. We give. We sacrifice for others. We empty ourselves. It's an act of liberation from our values, from what we used to value. It's an act of dependence on God and His provision. It's an act 
of sacrifice. It's acknowledging what Jesus has done for us. How? When we say, God's love for me is based not on my record, but on Jesus' record. Not on my work, but on Jesus' work. Not on my character, but on Jesus' character. We're acknowledging that our work isn't enough. We're acknowledging that our, that our uh, work is insufficient. It's weak. So, and when you, so when you say that, no matter how good you are at what you do, and you're able to say and confess fully that your work, your good works, even your goodness is not enough to merit God's favor for you, save for Jesus Christ in union with him, dying for you, you can let your ego go. You can let your ego go. You can surrender a little bit. That means if you're on the inside, you can hang with people who are on the outside. You know, the church was marked for that. For centuries, the reason why the church exploded was because communities of people who were supposed to be in were branching out, giving. And so God added to the church daily. It, made out, it came out, I mean, if you think about the, I wish I can go into the history of the church for you that there's, there's no way that the church would have made it out of the first century. It's because people on the outside said, this, there's something real going on there. Sacrifice. Built on the ultimate sacrifice. When you can let your ego go, when you can surrender your reputation to now be with people who are not in, by the way, that's Abraham, that's Noah, that's Moses, they all let go of their egos. They were all princes in their own rights and let go of their egos. When you do that, when you let go of your wealth and your security and your status, right? Those things are important, by the way, but they're not ultimate. When you say, hey, it's important, but it's not sufficient and certainly not ultimate in life, you know what happens? You can give. You can loosen your grip on these things that you used to value so much. That creates generosity, a very radical generosity. You can empty yourself. And you're going to realize... It's one of those things where you don't realize until you actually do it. You don't realize, there's most things that are important in our lives, you don't realize how joyful and delightful it is until you actually commit to doing it. In the beginning, there's lots of fear. Nothing important comes without fear. Marriage, having children, making your first major, major, uh, you know, home purchase, something like that. Nothing important in your life that you've had, taking that first job, nothing important in your life going to college, choosing the right college, nothing important in your life will ever come without some fear. Turns everything upside down. When you commit, that's when the delight happens. And Joseph saw Mary. And Joseph saw her sacrifice. And through Mary's sacrifice, and shame and disgrace. Joseph saw the ultimate picture of the ultimate sacrifice and the ultimate shame and the ultimate disgrace, and that melted him into delight. He lived a big life because of that. The power to overturn our values with a newfound courage over fear and a delight through surrender to our King. Will you practice that as we enter in to this Christmas and Advent season? as we await our King. Let's pray.